Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. Hey, welcome. We missed you. Um, welcome back. Uh, I hope the break was good. Uh, we have got a lot to cover today, and I'm really excited. Uh, if you are new with us um, or you're kind of checking us out, uh, we this year as a, as a college ministry at Christ Chapel have decided, man, we just want to go through the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is in the New Testament, uh, like the fifth or sixth book in. And it is uh, just this incredible 16-chapter book that the Apostle Paul writes uh, to a church that he has not met yet. And so it is just really, really rich. And so we just decided, man, let's just preach God's word week after week after week, verse by verse. And so that's kind of what we've been plowing through uh, last semester. And so I got a pretty ambitious task today. Um, I don't know how y'all's breaks were, how your Christmases were. We were praying for you. We hope it was good. I got a, I'm a dad of two boys. I got a seven-year-old, Charlie, and a four-year-old, Miles. They're actually here today. They'll be running around afterwards, um, spreading all their COVID germs. But they're, uh, they're around here somewhere. Um, they're clean. We sanitize them before we bring them into public. Um, but I bought them. My wife and I decided we were going to buy them a fort, right? So we found this fort on Amazon. It was pretty cheap. And so we bought this, like, kind of big metal fort, like, yay big and yay high to build in the backyard. And so Amazon ships it to us in a box, and so we wrap the box, um, and I know the good dad thing to do is, like, stay up Christmas Eve and build it, and then, like, they wake up Christmas morning. But I don't, I don't got time for that. Like, I got COVID-safe Christmas parties to go to, and so I didn't do that. So they opened the box, and they were super excited, but then obviously all day they're saying, Dad, like, let's build the fort, let's build the fort, let's build the fort. But it was Christmas, and so I was trying to enjoy Christmas, too, and we had people coming over and all that stuff. And so the day after Christmas, finally, it's time to, like, okay, I bought him this gift. Now I got to actually build it. So I open up the box, and guys— it was, just, it was just tiny pieces of metal. Like it was this massive box of all these tiny parts and all these tiny screws, and, and it took me an entire day to build it. And I just remember thinking like, what? I, I dumped out all the pieces on our, on our back porch, and I was like, what in the world is this? And so just piece at a time, piece at a time, following instructions. The boys would kind of try to help me, and then they'd get distracted. And so we built it, though. It took all day, and it was exhausting, but now if you ever come over to my house, which you're welcome to come over sometime when it's not a pandemic or you're not my family night, um, you can come over and you can check out Fort Fuquay, um, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, it was like 300 bucks on Amazon, but it was, it's pretty awesome. Uh, so come and, and hang out in Fort Fuquay. Here, here's what's going to happen today. Uh, what I'm going to try to do today in this sermon is we are going to open up and finish the very final nine verses of Romans 8 that we didn't get a chance to finish uh, before the end of the year. So there's nine verses le left in the eighth chapter of Romans, which is where we are. Um, it's where we were right before Thanksgiving break. And so that's where we're going to be. So if you want to flip there and, and look there, but one of the things you're going to see is that we're also simultaneously are going to back up and we're going to put all the pieces together of where we've been for a semester. 15 weeks last semester as we chewed through the first eight chapters. What I want to do for you guys and what I've been working hard on and, and praying hard uh, about is to really let you guys see how all these pieces fit together. And what the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, is doing is this unbelievably beautiful thing. And if I understand it, and if I believe it, and if I have faith in what he's actually talking about, if I really believe what he says 
in these first eight chapters of Romans, just the first half of the book, it will change everything in my life. And so that's uh, our ambitious task today is we're going to look at those final nine verses, but we're also going to back up and I'm going to try to do an overview of the entire book and still you get you guys out on time uh, for brunch. So look with me uh, to verses 31, 31 through 39 is where we're going to land, but I, I just want to show you something in verse 31 of chapter eight. This is what Paul says. This is how he begins to end this section in this chapter. He says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's stop right there. So the whole point of why we need to do a review today is not just because we've had a break and what did we even talk about last semester? And if you're new, this is a great week to show up because we're going to give you a quick overview of where we've been and where Paul's been. But but even to understand how he ends this chapter is really important to understand where he's been the entire book because he starts by saying, what then shall we say to these things? And what Paul is saying is he's saying, what should we say to these things? Meaning, if we understand the last eight chapters, all of the arguments that Paul has been making systematically about our faith and who God is and who we are, then what should we say to these things? So in order to understand the very last eight verses, we've got to understand the first four chapters. So here is a cool chart that my boy Michael Corner made for us. <clears throat> uh, Michael Corner is our Life Stage 2 executive pastor. Give it up for him. Those who know him, he is a big deal, uh, but he is a behind-the-scenes guy, so he never gets any credit. Uh, but here is uh, what's happening in eight chapters. And if you're like me, I'm a very visual person. And so for me to just get up here and start rambling about eight chapters of Romans, you're going to get lost. I'm going to get lost. I'm visual. I need to see the path we're going on. And in the first eight chapters of Romans, guys, it's so, it's so brilliant. There are nine facets, right? They don't all line up to chapter breaks. You know, Paul didn't write chapter one, chapter two, verse three, verse, that was added way later. Paul just wrote this one long letter when he wrote the book. And then we came in later and ruined it with numbers and chapters and all that kind of stuff. But, but here we've got these nine facets that he's going to unpack. And so I'm going to kind of zoom into these here in a second. And I'm just going to just give you the key word, right? This is just, this is not inerrant. This is just my key word that helps me remember what each facet is. Hey, something else cool that we're doing that, again, the way I'm wired, I want to see it visual. Uh, we're going to put this on our Instagram bio too. So even if like you later want to just reference that and be like, what is, what is chapter five about? Or what is that map of those first eight chapters? Or if this is a blessing to you, you can go and look at it and kind of use it as a resource for yourself. So he's going to have his intro. He's going to have a thesis. He's going to have bad news, good news. He's going to talk about faith. He's going to talk about the confidence we should have in our faith. He's going to talk about, whoa, 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 don't get overconfident. Then he's going to say, do you understand? And that leads to life in the spirit. That's where he's going. So let me show you the intro. Paul's intro, the first, uh, the first several verses, right? It's verses uh, one through verses, oh, we're restarting this. Uh, it's verses one through 15. And what Paul does in the intro is great because uh, in verse one through 15, he's just introducing himself. He's talking about where his authority comes from. Like, why is he a big deal? Why should he write this? Why should we pay attention to Paul? And it's because God's called him. God's chosen him. Paul's story is this crazy story. And so he's introducing himself. Something really fascinating about the intro is he alludes to the fact that he's never been to Rome. So he's writing to a church that he has yet to visit. So because of that, Romans is this really rich book. Think about it. If you're a teacher and you're trying to explain to somebody a specific subject and it's a student you've never had and you have no concept for what they understand and don't understand, then you're just going to give them the whole syllabus. You're just going to try to unpack. Here's everything. Whereas if you're a teacher and you've kind of been walking with somebody and you just know they're hung up on one issue, you're going to zoom in. 
And so a lot of the books in the New Testament are Paul kind of zooming in on issues that, hey, I know you guys, and y'all are struggling with this, and I know you guys, and y'all are struggling with this. But Romans is this thick book because he's like, I got to take you from beginning to end in what we believe uh, because I've never even met you and discipled you. So we have the intro. And then the thesis. I think my, my perspective and a lot of smarter people that I've read would agree with this, that the thesis of Romans is in verse 16 and 17. And so if you've got Bibles, I would highlight verse 16 and 17 of chapter one, because I think it is the thesis. Um, it is the, the punch in the book of Romans for what Paul does. And here's what he says. I'll read it to you. and We'll put it up on the screen as well. For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That is huge. So what Paul does in those two verses, I think, is he sets up the rest of the book, all the rest of the book, right? He says, man, the power of God shows up in the gospel. Right? The gospel is the power of God for transformation for those who believe. And so then, with that loaded, weighty statement, I think you would then beg the question, okay, if the power of God rests in this idea of the gospel, I better have a really good understanding of what the gospel is. Like, what is the gospel? If that's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes and he's not ashamed of it, then what is it? Then he takes off the rest of the book explaining what that gospel is and what those implications are. So, so the next facet, right, the third facet then is the bad news. And that starts right after this. It starts in verse 18. And from verse 18 in chapter one, he goes bad news all the way through the rest of chapter one, all the way through chapter two and, and halfway through chapter three. And so we see this bad news that, uh, that Paul is introducing. And if you remember as a recap, he does something really cool. Uh, he does something really cool. He, he talks about sin condemning us. And we talked about this in one of our first sermons uh, of the semester last semester. Um, you'll notice in chapter one, he uses this pronoun of they and those. And so he says things like, man, there's sin in the world. And, and those people are, are messed up. And these people have sinned. And there are people who have done that. Can you believe it? And there are people, who, those people have done that. Can you believe that? And he starts to paint this picture in chapter one of those people. And so this pronoun he keeps using is those, they, those. And then in chapter two, if you remember, he pivots it and he says, and us and you. And all of a sudden the pronouns in chapter two totally change. And so it's easy to say, those guys are sinners. Those guys are sinners. Those guys are sinners. There's sin everywhere. And they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not obeying God. And then he pivots and says, and we're not, and we're not obeying God and us and we and me and you. And it's huge. And I, I think somewhere along the way in Christianity, and, and just even if I'm honest, it's so much easier to look at somebody else's sin and point their mistakes out and look over there and be like, man, look at those guys. Man, they're, they're out of bounds. Their sin condemns them. Right? They've got sin that God is not going to be happy with. And Paul does a great job of saying, yep, 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 they do. And you, and you, and me, and us. It's humbling. You read Romans chapter 1, verse 20 through, through 3, verse 20, and you're humbled. He, he zooms in. I just want to, one highlight in this one is, is uh, he says in verse, in chapter 3, in verse 10, we'll put it up on the screen. It says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. 
not even one. Bad news, right? There is bad news that he has introduced in this thing. We went from his intro to his thesis of the power of the gospel to bad news, and then we see this incredible thing happen in, in verse 21 of chapter 3, and that's where Paul then starts talking about the good news. The good news, he starts in, in verse 21, and through the rest of that chapter, he lands on this is the good news. Uh, I'm going to read for you verse 23 of chapter 3. For all have sinned. We've seen that. All fall short of the glory of God. We've seen that. Uh, we've seen that this law that God's created, this command that God's given us, he said, here's my law, here's what's righteous, here's what you need to do in order to, to please me. We've all blown it. Everybody has blown it. We see that. And then he says, those people, right, who have sinned, who have fallen short, who aren't good enough, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Good news. Good news in Romans. Man, I, I would say the, the pinnacle of the argument he's making in the middle of chapter 3 is the peak of good news for any believer. Anyone who says, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ, that is the good news, right? And then he doesn't stand there, right? Then he continues to move on in this beautiful argument he's making. And so uh, he, he moves from this good news to faith because there's this incredibly important thing. If you're a believer, you've probably heard or you come to church that we are saved by grace through faith, right? We're saved by grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We're going to talk a lot about that today because Paul talks a lot about it. Um, we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But we're given this incredible grace. But we are saved by grace through faith. And so in chapter 4, he really zooms in on faith and, and really starting to understand what that looks like. And he uses this illustration of Abraham, who, who was kind of the father Abraham, and he was uh, a key linchpin figure in, in all of the Jewish uh, heritage. And so they would have understood who that was. And using that example of Abraham helps them understand the importance of their faith. We're saved by grace, but it's through faith. And one of the things that I think he does well in this chapter one of the things I want you to hear, maybe just about more than anything uh, today, is there is a beautiful distinction between I believe in Jesus and I put my faith in Jesus. And we talked about it when, when we preached through Romans 3, and uh, I believe Josh preached through Romans 4, we talked about this idea of uh, that there is belief and even James chapter 2, in, later in the Bible, it says that even the demons believe. Right? Like even demons believe in Jesus. But there's this beautiful distinction between I believe Jesus is who he said he is, or I've put my faith in Jesus. And that's huge. That's a massively important thing. I think a lot of us, I grew up in a Christian home, and so I was kind of told about Jesus, you know, my whole life, uh, kind of right along with Santa and, and all the other things, and I was kind of told, like, here's who Jesus is, and this is what he did, and, and so, you know, I don't have a reason to disagree with my parents, and so I was told, and so I, I, had a, I had a belief in Jesus in some ways, but me as a follower of Jesus, man, I ran into some, some real hurdles because that belief didn't play itself out in some ways in my life because I hadn't really put my faith in Jesus, right? You might believe, let's say you're a football fan, right? Who's playing today? Packers and Tampa Bay, right? Let's say, who's going to win that game? Packers. Okay, great, Packers. Okay, let's not get into that. Okay, Packers, right? Let's say Packers are going to win today, which I actually think that's a good bet, right? I might believe the Packers are going to win today. 
but would I bet the next year's salary on the Packers winning today? Right, like that, there's a massive difference between I believe Aaron Rodgers is going to pull it off and the Packers are going to win, but would I put my faith in saying, hey, sweetheart, we're going to be homeless if they don't, right? <laughs> like we're going to be homeless and you'll see me in the coffee shop here all the time, like with a little cot right here. Um, right, there's a difference between do I believe the bad news and the good news? Do I, be I believe Jesus saves me? Yeah, I accept, I accept that information. I accept that knowledge that Jesus saved me. But have I put my faith in that? And we're gonna, that's what we're going to land on when we, when we end chapter 8. But I don't want to skim too fast, fast towards this facet in chapter 4 of faith. You tracking with me? You guys with me? Okay, good. Good. This is a lot, man. You're getting an entire overview of eight chapters of Romans. I'm proud of you. You're doing good. Nobody's falling asleep yet. All right, next chapter. Chapter 5. Chapter 5, he then talks about confidence, right? So he goes from faith to confidence. So, so now we can have this confidence. And so do you see Paul's laying out this argument, right? Believe, and then if you believe, and if you put your faith in Jesus, then we should have crazy confidence. Look at this verse. This is insane. Look at this. Verse 8. I'll put it up on the screen. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? That means that you brought nothing to the table, right? That's what it means. It means you brought a pile of crap to the feast, and yet God still allowed you to sit and enjoy and eat at the feast of him. You bring only your sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? It means that this desire for me to get cleaned up so that I can meet with God is a lie. It means that desire in you to say, God, I feel so far from God because I know what I've done. And I know where I've been. And I know the path that I've kind of been walking on. And I know how I've been stiff-arming him. And I know how long it's been. And then this confidence of, wait, if my faith is in Jesus, it means he didn't love me when I got cleaned up. He loved me while I was still a sinner. He, he didn't just love me. He died for me paid the full price for me while I was still a sinner. That should give us confidence, right? That should give us crazy amounts of confidence that I didn't have to get cleaned up. And that gives me confidence to be able to approach worship knowing I'm broken and I need him and I get his grace. And he doesn't want me to stay there, of course. He wants me to walk out of those things because he knows those things are ultimately going to be really fruitless. That's why. That's why he doesn't want me there. That's why he doesn't want me playing in the mud because he knows how it's going to suck my life away. And he has something better for me. But man, that kindness, that confidence. And look at this last verse in the chapter. In chapter 5, this, this facet where he talks, I think, so much about building our confidence. He says this. He says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. If you remember, the law is the rules that God has given to show us what Christ's likeness looks like. The law has come in to increase the trespasses. Whoa. With the law, I know how off I am. I can see the standard. I can see how far I am. But, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I know how far I am from God. I, I can see it. The Holy Spirit lives in me, convicts me at times and seasons. You might feel like, man, there's some, some things in between me and the God of the universe that's, that's hampering me. I don't feel close to him. Maybe you've never felt close to him and you feel your sin, right? What does it say at the end of chapter five? When your sin increases, 
grace abounds. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. My sin increases. His grace is more powerful. But I did this. His grace is more powerful. But what about this? His grace is more powerful. That, if that doesn't produce confidence in you, I don't know what produces confidence in you. Man, if I'm trying to follow Jesus and I'm like, man, I keep stumbling, I keep stumbling. Man, I, I stink, man. I keep messing up, I keep messing up. And then I remember, oh yeah, he's got enough grace for me. That should produce crazy amounts of confidence in us who are followers of Christ. By the time we get to chapter five, man, when we're studying Romans, we're like, yes, his grace covers me no matter what, which if you're paying attention should lead to, I think, a pretty logical question. Why don't I just keep sinning? Right? Like, if his grace is going to cover me, if his grace is always going to be good, well, why don't I just keep on sinning and let grace abound, right? It seems like a pretty natural question. And so I go from confidence to then I go to overconfidence, right? Uh, overconfidence. And so what he does in chapter 6 is he produces a caution because he knows, hey, if you're really tracking, you should be really confident, but don't be too confident. So here's what he says in verses 1 and 2, right? The very first, the very first couple of verses after that, man, sin increases, grace abounds. And then he says this, Paul asks the question in verse one, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then the rest of the chapter is this beautiful, this is a massive oversimplification, but it's this beautiful picture of what it looks like to be dead to ourselves and understanding we are in this relationship where of course I can't keep on sinning if I really am in this beautiful covenant relationship with a God who is, yes, infinitely gracious, but I don't want to abuse that because that shows I don't really understand the kind of relationship I'm in. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm married. My wife is incredible. Those of you who know my wife are like, why did she marry him? I get it, right? I ask myself that all the time. She's an unbelievable woman. I love her. <clears throat> she loves me, and she loves me unconditionally. And it's the coolest relationship I've ever experienced in my life. She loves me unconditionally, right? And she also likes me most of the time, which is just a bonus, right? Uh, it's just a bonus. She didn't sign up to have to like me all the time, but she loves me unconditionally all the time. <clears throat> and I know that. And I know I can make mistakes, and she would still love me. Right? And I have made mistakes. I've never seen the grace of God more tangibly than in my relationship with my wife, who sees the crummiest, ugliest parts of me and still chooses to love me the way she does. Incredible. you got to get one sometime. <clears throat> if I took her unconditional grace, my wife's not going to leave me. She loves me. She's awesome. And I just treated her like garbage, right? I changed the locks on our door, and I, I got a bunch of mistresses, and I, you know, stole all of her money, and I slashed her tires, and I, and I, and I just constantly stabbed her in the back, stabbed her in the back, stabbed her in the back, and I, and I lived in a way, but, and then I said, well, but she, I mean, she's my wife, so, like, the fact that I got 40 mistresses, and I kind of kicked her out, and I, you know, like, am really mean to her, doesn't matter, because she loves me unconditionally, that would be me not understanding the nature of our relationship. That would be like, okay, well, you don't understand what this marriage is, right? You don't understand what this is. That's not a, that's not what a loving marriage is, and so I would never abused to that degree, I would never say like, oh, cool, well, I'm just going to use this as a license because I know Danielle loves me unconditionally, so I'm going to use that as a license to do whatever I want. Well, no, 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 that's, that's not the marriage we have, and that's what God's saying. Hey, I love you unconditionally, 
but this is a covenant. This is a marriage. And you, you believe and love me, right? And I love you, and I loved you first. Even when you were awful, I loved you. But we're going to walk this thing out together. And so there's this caution that if we really understood this, we all need his grace constantly, some seasons more than others. We have to be careful not to abuse it. And what we do, we have to check our hearts and rally other people around us and say, man, what's wrong? And man, I, I need to confess this because and I want to walk back to, to loving him well. Then he goes into chapter 7, and we go from, from this idea of overconfidence to this idea of understanding the law. And so we understand, you know, this lesson in understanding the law. And in, in Romans 7, and I'll, I'll be quick here, he says in verse 6, he says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. And so it's an important chapter, uh, chapter seven, where he, he's taken us through the good news and the bad news and the faith that we have to have and then the confidence we should have in that. And be careful not to be overconfident. And remember, you're now no longer under this rules, right? You're now in this spirit. So yes, you're still submitted, but instead of just submitting to the rules, now you're submitted into this relationship with Christ. So all of this then leads to chapter eight which chapter eight, if you remember when we were preaching it, we were, you know, Josh and I were tackling like whole chapters at a time. And then we got to chapter eight and we like spent four weeks just in chapter eight. And this is where we are today. We, we've already covered three fourths of this chapter at the end of the semester. Um, but here we just, we see life in the spirit. And that's what Paul does. He uses those first seven chapters to unpack, to lead us to this place. And then he says, and this leads to life in the spirit. And in life in the spirit, we see just some incredible things that happen in life in the spirit. The first quarter of that chapter, verses 1 through 11, we see that we're fully loved, right? We see that we're fully loved by this God, right? And then in verses 12 through 17, he says, and also you're heirs, right? You're fully accepted. You're not just completely and fully loved. You're also fully accepted. And, and there's this beautiful verse that we are adopted as sons, and daughters, and we've been given the spirit in which we cry, Abba, Father. We've been given this acceptance and intimacy with this holy God who is so far from us. And then all of that then leads to, it's this changed perspective from 18 through verse 30, that if we believe all these things, then man, our perspective is different. Our perspective should be different. And, and we see that, man, when we hit persecution and hardships, we see through the lens of all the stuff we've studied and seen and learned and, and we're loved and we're accepted. And so we have this confidence to be like, man, I can take it on. I, I can take on the trials and the hardships. And that's what he talks about um, in those 12 verses. And that leads us to verse 31. It leads us back to verse 31. And so this whole picture that I just spent 20 minutes unpacking for you guys. I hope it's a blessing. I want you to know we love the word of God here. This is what we're going to do, right? This is who we are, and this is what we think is going to bring about transformation in your life. Is, uh, my hope is that if we understand what God is saying, and we believe what God is saying, and we have faith in what God is saying, then it changes everything. And so this is what he's been doing. He set up the the thesis of the gospel, and there's good news and there's bad news. You've got to put your faith, not just believe, but put your faith in it, have confidence Know you're no longer under the law, and then walk in the Spirit. And then verse 31 makes sense to us, guys. Then verse 31, which says, what then shall we say to these things? We realize, wow, that's a lot. We realize, wow, that's an overwhelming amount of things that he has shown us. And so then when Paul starts to land the plane in chapter 8, 
what shall we say to these things? That's what he's talking about. The truth of the last eight chapters. And so he's going to show us three really sweet things that I'm going to, I'm going to move for as applications for your life as you leave here that my hope is the Holy Spirit takes and says, okay, I want to believe this more. I want to have faith in this more and, and walk out. And I think it changes us. So what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know what it shows us as we wrap up this chapter? It shows us how he values us. This gospel of Jesus Christ, eight chapters of Jesus Christ, it shows us how he values us, the God of the universe, a holy, perfect God that has no business hanging out with me, values me to that point. Did you see what it said? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for me. I love you guys. I love you guys. I don't even know most of y'all, right? But I got this thing called the Holy Spirit and he lives inside me and that Holy Spirit loves you and cares about you. And so me and our staff, we pray for you guys and we work hard for you guys and we, we, we wanna spend our lives building a ministry that pushes you to Jesus because we love you. I would do anything for you guys. I say that, but then I read a verse like this. I'm not giving up my boys for y'all, right? He gave up his own son. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. I love y'all. I'm not giving up my son. Either one of them, man. They're both great, right? I'm not giving up my son for you. That is our God. He gives up his son for us. What kind of value does that put on you and your life? That the God of the universe would do that, that we'd say that. Gave up his own son. What does it do if we believe that? If we really believe how we're valued, what does that do for you? When you walk out of here, if your faith grows a little bit by understanding, am I really that valued? What does that do? Here's one thing. Let's say one day you find that you're discouraged. Let's say one day you find in life that you are beat up and discouraged and weary and tired and you feel like you are isolated, and you walk into a big room of people, and you feel like you're faking it, and you feel like, man, I don't know where I belong, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm navigating through life, and I'm pretending, but when you're alone, and you're quiet, you feel super discouraged. Let's say, for example, one day you find yourself there, and then the Holy Spirit calls on that phone over there, <laughs> and, uh, and says, hey, you're valued. You're valued. That's what it does. All of that discouragement. We have a God that then says, do I really believe that? Do I believe it? Do I believe it? Because what I can do is I can then trade my discouragement of feeling like I don't know where I belong. I don't know where I fit in. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And I can trade that for, wait, the God of the universe values me, gives up his own son. Look what else this, this section does. It shows how he fights for us. Right? It shows how the God of the universe doesn't just value you, right? He values you greatly, but also he will fight for you. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect, which means God's people, the people that God has kind of called to be his family, his kids? Who gets to bring any charge against those people, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Interceding is this fancy churchy word for he is standing next to the God of the universe, our Savior, Jesus Christ, interceding, whispering, saying, hey, 
she's mine. Hey, he's mine. Hey, I know they're wandering. I know they're discouraged. I know they're down and out. I know they're being attacked. But Jesus is interceding for us, making a case for us. That's how our God fights for us. What does it do if I believe that? What happens if I really believe that truth? Here's one thing. Let's say one day, just theoretically, you find yourself stuck in anxiety. You just feel like there is no ground that is solid to stand on and you are anxious and you are anxious and you don't even know exactly why you're anxious. And there is anxiety and uncertainty and it paralyzes you and you feel like you can't get set free from it. And there's so many tools of the Christian community that would love to walk with you and encourage you and not oversimplify that battle that so many of us get stuck in, but also there's this truth that should also give us confidence. There's this truth that when you are anxious, you are also not alone. And when you feel isolated, alone, and stuck, you have this God who through his word, if I believe it, and if all of these things are true, then it means that I have a God who's fighting for me, and I have a Savior who is interceding to a God who's in control. A heavenly Father is what I have, and all of a sudden I can trade my anxiety for confidence. I can trade my anxiety for peace. And I can rally around other believers who can help me walk that out in my life because it's hard. And it's not just a, a switch we flip. It's a muscle we build. What, what happens when I believe that more and more? What happens when you believe more and more how you are fought for by God? And then last thing chapter 8 is going to show us is this. How he commits to us. Man, is beautiful. How God commits to us. Verse 35 and through the rest of the chapter, this is what he says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And listen to this, verse 38, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. How committed is the God of the universe to you if you have put your faith in him? That is how committed. Nothing can separate you. Height, death, angels, demons, this, that, nothing can separate us. That means no circumstances, no pandemic, no church attendance. It means no amount of your sin. If you are truly in Christ and in faith, it means that your God says, man, I'm not going to let you wander. Now, you might wreck some years of your life. You might sow in seeds because of your sin that just reap awful consequences. But he says, you're still going to be my son. You're still going to be my daughter. Nothing changes that. You can't change that. That commitment is what we have from the, God, from the God of the universe. That's the God we worship. That's the God I say, I surrender my life. I put my faith in you. My life is not my own. That's the God I'm surrendered to. A God who says, nothing you can do, Ben. Nothing in this world. And not even your own mistakes. You can't outrun me. That's the God we serve. This brilliant theologian Charles Spurgeon once said, it's not your hold of Christ that saves you. It is Christ. And that's so true. And we got to remember that, that our relationship is 
based on his hold on you. What happens when I believe that? My last question for y'all, what happens when you believe that? It means you can trade shame. It means you can trade the feelings of, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I struggle with. And all that shame has just built and built and built. And because of all these things, you can trade that shame to a God who says, yeah, I know where you've been and I know what you've done and I love you anyway. I always loved you. And that kindness of God that leads me to say, I want to follow that God. I want to surrender my life to that God. I want to respond to the way he's loved me and love him back. That's what all these things set us up to do. Would we believe him? Would we trade our discouragement and our anxiety and our shame and would we trade them for a God who says, I love you where you are and I have something beautiful if you'll follow me? Would we believe it? I'm gonna pray and, um, and then we're gonna get back into worship. And um, here's what I want. Hang on a second. Here's what I want for you walking out of here. What, what do you do with this? What do you do with this entire eight chapter review of Romans? What do you do with all this? My hope is the Holy Spirit does some sweet stuff with it. But one of them is my hope is you walk out of here and say, I have a better understanding of God's word and what that means for me. I believe more. And ultimately, I hope you walk out of here and say, God, would you increase my faith to really put my faith in this? This, this wouldn't just be a intellectual head knowledge that I understand um, about. I think a lot of us grew up in homes where we were taught what to believe but would we have faith to say I'm going to follow I'm going to surrender would that be what we walk out of here with and when we, when we worship here in a second we're going to worship about a God who takes things that are dead and he turns them into beautiful gardens and things that are alive and we're going we're gonna to worship about a God who is better and that there is nothing better than him and when we do that would that be our genuine prayer as we leave here that nothing is better than him. Because if you're like me, I choose things over him all the time. And so would today be a day that I lay down some of those things that he would show me, man, what are the things that I'm putting better than you and would I just remove those because of these things? Let me pray. Father, we love you and we are grateful for how you love us. Um, we are so grateful for how you love us. You love us so perfectly. We're thankful for your word, God. It is rich and it is deep and it is packed and it is full. And I thank you for this, these students and young adults who sat here and got to listen to your truth. Eight chapters of Romans that you're telling a beautiful story in. That you're telling a story of how far we've gone and how far you will go to chase us down. Would we leave here with more understanding of who you are and how you love us? And also would we leave here with more faith? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.